Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Ian Somerville. Uh, I have the privilege of being part of this church. I've been part of this church before it was a thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been here for a long time and it's all good. Uh, so it is, it is genuinely, and Gary was saying the same thing this morning, it is a privilege to be part of this church. It's a privilege to serve, it's a privilege to get to do what we do. Uh, it's not the only thing I do in life. Uh, if you kind of vaguely know me, you will probably know that I have a long-suffering wife called Jill, uh, who is uh, already rolling her eyes at the front because uh, I'm already uh, getting myself in trouble. Uh, but most of you will probably know me as Jonah's dad. Okay, uh, if, you, if you've been in Journey at all, you've met Jonah. I'm pretty sure you have. Um, we went to Kingdom Come uh, back in the summer and we were there for the setup before, the week before. And I promise you, Jonah knows more people in church than I do. Um, I thought I was an extrovert until Jonah came into our lives and he is like me, he's like extrovert me times a million. It's amazing. And he definitely knows more people in Downpatrick than I do. Um, in fact, he knows more people in Downpatrick than I think Tucker does. Um, Tucker's the site pastor down in Downpatrick. It's, it's quite amazing. He went off into the Downpatrick tent village at Kingdom Come and was basically making friends with everybody. So I get to be Jonah's daddy. That's really my favorite thing that I get to do in church, in life, and in every other way. So we're here in our uh, Culture of Honor um, series. Now, any, any Americans here? If we have any Americans here? Yeah, I want to point out that that's the correct way to spell honor, okay? That's the correct way to spell honor. If I look at my Culture of Honor book here, it, it, it's missing a U. It's the same as the word color, okay? You're missing a U. Americans, you need to learn to spell. It's English. We came up with it first, okay? Um, so shots, shots fired. Um, yeah, Michael, don't you laugh. Your child's going to learn proper spelling here, okay? Um, <laughs> Uh, I told you it was a naughty form. All right, so, yeah, culture of honor. Uh, we've, been in, we've been in this series for three weeks. Uh, sorry, this is the third week of it. The first two weeks we had John, and the first week John gave us a foundation of what culture of honor is, why it's so important, and how we came to, uh, I suppose, look on it and, and have it really embedded in our, uh, in our church life here. It is one of our 10 core values. If you, uh, if, if you want to go and look at our core values, they are on the website. You can go and read them. And this is one of the ones that you'll find there. Um, second week then, uh, you, you came back after last week, which is good. You must be the tithers that were comfortable enough with what John was saying, or you've gone and adjusted your giving in the past week. Uh, it was challenging, yes. Um, it's always challenging when we talk about money because when you talk about money, we spend our money on the things of where our, that our heart really prioritizes. So when you start to challenge people on money, it can cause offense very quickly. Uh, I thought John dealt with it very well last week, but I left challenged and I hope you did as well. Um, I'll be honest, as I've been preparing this this week, Every time I have come to this portion of my sermon, I've gone off on a bit of a rabbit trail in my head or as I've kind of been orating this myself. And I'm going to put the brakes on and try not to do that. However, I do believe the Holy Spirit wants to underline something from last week, that commitment to church is more than just turning up every, every couple of weeks. Okay? Commitment to church is actually getting embroiled in the life of this church, actually being part of journey groups, being part of men's group, women's group, being part of uh, missions and things that are going on, actually coming and being part. And also, it should be about finances as well. If this is your church, this isn't your church, fine, doesn't matter. But if this is your church, 
you actually, I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me a very simple message to put in here, and it is stop playing with my church. Stop playing with my church. It's time to actually be committed and to be part of it. And I do believe that God's going to cause this to be a really fruitful season that we're about to enter into. And a big part of that is that God's getting serious with us about what we give and what we sacrifice to church. All right, I'm going to move on because that's not my sermon today. Uh, John talked to us about foundations of honor. And I'm going to touch on some of what John said, even some of the introductory stuff that John said, because it leads into what I'm talking about today. But I'm going to be looking at this idea of the funnel from heaven. When we live in this culture of honor, and we live in this apostolic flow, and we have the fivefold in place, what does that actually look like? So that's, what I, that's where I'm going to be getting to today if I don't go way, way over my time. But I first want to take you back to long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, about 12 years ago. And uh, so it's not that long ago, but in the life of church, it is a long time ago. Um, hands, up who was, hands up who was part of Journey Community Church before it was Journey Community Church. All right. Yep. Quite a yeah, there's a few people there. Um, so you'll remember that we went through a really, really tough season. Uh, it, I've been in church all my life. Okay? I have had the ups and downs, I've had the ins and outs, I've had the walk away from church and I'm not going to be part of that anymore season. I, I've done all of that. But 12 years ago, we went through the toughest season that I've ever been through as part of a church family. It was really, really difficult. And it was difficult for two reasons. One, because we were contending for what God had called us to do and asked us to do. And secondly, we really loved the people that we were contending with. Um, when it comes down to it, we're always, going to please, we're always going to strive to please God over men, but it's really hard when people that you love and respect are standing opposing to that. So it, it was a season of conflict, it was a season of difficulty, and it was a really dry, difficult season. And in the midst of that, we started hearing about this little church in Reading in California. Um, now, we'd heard about Bethel, and all we really knew about Bethel at that point was they've got some pretty great worship music, and they're kind of pursuing revival. We didn't know an awful lot about it. We started to hear little bits and pieces of this idea of culture of honor. Um, I was thinking about it, and I went on to Amazon. I went, oh, look, there's a book about culture of honor. Clicked order, and it came, and it arrived, and came into our house. And this isn't actually my original copy of it. I gave it away to somebody. Uh, I don't know who has it. This is my problem. I lend out books. They never come back, and you end up buying more copies. This is actually a copy I bought from my dad. Um, uh, and actually have a, little, uh, have a little message that I'd written to him at the front of it. And it says, to dad with love from Ian and Jill on Christmas 2013. So that's 10 years ago. May this book be as paradigm shifting for you as it was for us. And that's what this was at that stage. It was as if you had the thirstiest person in the world being given the cleanest, purest water. It was as if you had the hungriest People in the world being set down to this incredible banquet of food. We went from one paradigm and we looked at this and we went, oh, hang on, we have got this totally wrong. This is what this is supposed to look like. This is what church is supposed to look like. This is what relationships in the kingdom are actually supposed to be about. And it completely changed everything. However, I got this book. It arrived from Amazon. And I'm a reader. Any other readers in the room? I am a reader. I always have at least 10 books on the go. So I stuffed it in my pile of 10 or 15 or 20 books that sits at the side of my bedroom. And I just, I've, honestly, I forgot about it. I bought it, ordered it. I was like, I'll get to it at some point. 
until we were heading off, I was heading off to lead worship in Strasbourg. And uh, we decided we'd book a Ryanair flight. So you know what Ryanair flights do. They don't arrive anywhere close to where you're supposed to be. So this Ryanair flight actually arrived into Germany. Okay, we arrived at the Frankfurt Hahn Airport. Um, just as I'm about to leave, I felt the father just gently say, pick up that book, Culture of Honor, and take it with you. So I went, okay. I've learned over the years, if the father says, do something like that, you just do it. Did it subconsciously, didn't think about it. And honestly, again, I forgot that I had the book even with me. Because I went into the airport, and at that stage, we were traveling through the airport with uh, quite a number of people, and it was like herding cats. It was stressful in the airport. And I'd nearly forgotten completely that I had this book with me until I'm sitting on the plane, and the Holy Spirit goes, <coughs> what are you supposed to be doing? And I was like, oh, book. And I took it out, and I started to read it. Now, up to now, that sounds fairly normal. It's what you do on the plane. Jill was also reading her novel. I'm not sure what your novel was at that stage. But at that moment, I read the first couple of pages of this book, and I was like, this is the opposite of everything I know. This is the opposite of everything I've experienced in church world in the last number of years. And I started to have this encounter with God. Now, I do two things when I encounter God. Well, two main things. I'll either laugh or I'll cry. This was a crying time. And I started to weep. And it wasn't the tough guy kind of single tear. You know, I can disguise this. This was weeping like a baby. Sitting beside my wife on a plane who's giving me the side eye and reading her book as if to say, I am not with this complete longer. Okay. Um, so I managed to get through, weep my way through at least two of these chapters. I get off the plane and I'm still in the midst of this encounter with God. God is doing something deep in me. And there's John and Rachel and Ethan and Aaron who've arrived to pick us up. And I'm like, John, I've been reading this book and this is what we're supposed to go after. This is what church is supposed to look like. This and I start this big rambling rant. He's like, no, I've been reading this book. And, I said, and of course, at the same time that I was reading this on the plane, John was sitting in the car waiting to collect us, reading the same book. This has happened quite a lot. John and I have been come to each other with this amazing revelation, only discovered that the other person's actually processing through it the same way at pretty much the same time. So at that point, we went, okay, God is on this, and we set our stall towards this. Now, this is the thing about culture of honor. We do not get this right all the time. It's a really high, lofty thing to aim for. In fact, if truthful, we probably get it wrong far more than we get it right. But we set our stall after this. We said, this is what we're going after. This is what church culture should look like. And this is what we want to be part of Journey Community Church. So in a real way, and I'm not, like I'm not overstating this to say, our church wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this value. If it wasn't for this revelation of the culture of honor uh, that came to us at that stage, this church, we might have got round to planting, but it would have been a complete mess. We wouldn't be here today. You, wouldn't be, you would not be within the sound of my voice. Dear knows what would have happened. This came along at the right time. The Holy Spirit brought it in. And our church, in a very real sense, was birthed out of this revelation. Do we get it right? No, we don't. But we strive for it. We go for it. And this is what we feel is different about Journey Community Church. You can come in here and you can go, okay, well, they need to be a wee bit more organized about this and that needs to be sorted out. But essentially, when you come into Journey Community Church, hopefully one of the things that you encounter is the fact that everyone has a place, everyone feels, everyone should be honored, and this is something that we try to live, okay? So to explain a little bit about what it is, um, I'm going to let Danny Silk's words uh, be our kind of guiding quote here. 
And he says it like this, and this may appear on the screen for us. The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Okay, let's read that again because it's pretty deep. There's a lot in there. It says the principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Essentially, this is what honor, the principle of honor, is all about. You have to be able to identify what it is people actually carry, the grace that people walk in. So you need two things to do that, in my opinion. First of all, if you want to accurately identify who other people are and what they carry, well, you actually need to know who you are and what you carry. Now, for a long time, I thought I knew who I was. I had a pretty good idea. I thought, yeah, I have a good, accurate understanding. Some, some <laughs> bad things had happened to me early on in life. And I had built a life that was in reaction to that. And I had made really good, positive choices. And I thought, well, that's my identity. That's who I am. And some bad things happened, but I've taken those things and I've let God redeem them. And I'm doing really well. However, when I actually sat down in the counseling room and looked at that, everything that I was doing was still because of those bad things that had happened in my life. I thought I knew who I was, but who I had built, my identity, was actually in reaction to things that had happened. Does that make sense? Okay. So actually, when I sat down um, many years ago and over a long time with Julia, I processed those things in the counseling room through TT, dealt with those things, and then I discovered that the identity that I'd made probably wasn't an accurate reflection of who God had called me to be and actually what, you know, who I really was. And when I started to identify who I really was, I started to not really give a monkey's what you thought of me. And what happened out of that was instead of interacting with people through all this negative stuff that had happened to me, I started to actually identify, oh, that thing that really triggered me and annoyed me about that person, actually that person's not so bad. I can actually see the gift of God in their lives. By clearing up who I was, I was much more able to see who other people were. Okay? See, this is where the TT people really hate me because I do this. And then what happens is tonight and tomorrow morning, people start booking in for TT sessions. Okay? It will change your life. Okay? It, is, it is life changing. I can personally attest to that. It really helped me identify who I was and helped me begin to walk in a bit of freedom. Second thing that we really need is actually a gift of discernment. It's pretty much the, the missing gift within the church today. We often look at people through our earthly eyes instead of actually looking through our heavenly spiritual eyes and seeing the gifts and the things that people are called to do and seeing people's potential. Okay? Even the difficult people. All right? You know that person who really gets on your goat at work? Probably your boss. If any of my... Uh, if my staff are watching this, I'm sorry. Um, you start to see the potential in people, even when they annoy you. And there are times in my life when the people who have annoyed me most and who have been the most difficult in my life have actually come to me with a word in season. And because I've been able to recognize who they are, it has been really life-changing. Being able to accept that God moves through everyone, even the people that we don't particularly like. So I'm going to describe for you what a culture of honor looks biblically. 
So we're going to go here and we're going to look in Romans 12. Now this is literally, this is like the seminal passage for me on what culture of honor looks like. I could honestly happily read this and sit down. I'm done. If you get this, you will absolutely get culture of honor and you will get what Journey Community Church is all about. This is the high lofty goal that we, we, we strive for, that we try to attain. And if church looked like this, life would be good. Okay? Also, I think this is a really deep passage. I will absolutely go off in a rabbit hole in the middle of this and will probably lose track of what I'm supposed to be preaching, which is good. But also, if you give me the next 10 weeks of a series to preach on this, I would happily do it. There's a lot in here. So, we're going to start at verse 9, and it says this. Let love be genuine. (laughs) Who can spot a fake a million miles away? We talk, does anybody know the phrase cupboard love? Yes. Cupboard love for me is it's like our cat at home. If I'm standing beside his food cupboard, he comes and rubs up against my leg and purrs at me. And I was like, oh, I love you, you're great. And then what's he looking? He's looking at me to open the cupboard and give him something. As soon as you give it him, he clears off or he scrabs your eyes out because it's a cat. <laughs> cupboard love. He's not loving me and giving me affection because he loves me. He's loving me for what I can do for him. So again, you can spot a fake a million miles away. We're, only, we're actually not even a verse in, so let's, let's try and rein myself in. Okay, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Everyone say brotherly affection. Everyone say family. Okay, it's going to be really important in a minute. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. That means basically don't be lazy and being enthusiastic about the things of church and th- things of God and things in the church. Be, do not be la- don't be a lazy bum in church, all right? I nearly used a different word. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I mean, come on. This is my this is it. I don't need to preach any more than this. This is straight from scripture. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Let me tell you, as a prophet in the church this morning, we're going to have to get a lot more serious about prayer. I made the mistake, and I do consider it partly a mistake, of going to Lou Engel at the end of Kingdom Come and asking him to pray for me. I've been messed up ever since. My prayer life has changed. Fasting has become a regular rhythm in my life. And I've also been plagued with crazy, crazy dreams. I went through 14 nights after Kingdom Come. I had at least two or three prophetic dreams each night. And this Jill will tell you, I would wake up at all hours of the night and I would try to put these down into my dream journal and my phone. And Jill would be like, would you go back to sleep? I'm like, if I go back to sleep, I'll have another dream and I'll have to do this all again when I wake up again. Okay? And from that, I would say about maybe once or twice a week, I've been having these crazy, crazy dreams. I'm telling you that the next thing that we really need to get plugged into as a church is being constant in prayer and intercession. Okay? The next season will come, the fruitfulness will come, but it's going to be a lot more easy if we've actually built in the constant rhythm of prayer into what we're doing. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is what John was talking about last week. 
if we would contribute to the needs of the saints in the church, if we would give the finance and the tithe and above and beyond that that we're called to give in the New Testament, well, I'm telling you something, this church would, look an, it would be an awful lot more hospitable. We would be able to do the things that God has called us to do without striving to focus and go off mission to do things to bring finance in. This is my sermon here. I don't need to read any, I don't need to do any more than just read this passage today. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Hands up who knows anybody in their lives who keeps a score in here. Okay? I know lots of people and I don't know how they live because there's a constant scoreboard going on in their head as to that person did something nice for me, I have to do something nice for them. That person did something nasty to me, I'm going to do something nasty to them. A constant scoreboard ticking over in their head. Here's the thing. In the church, somebody does something to me that I don't like, I have to lay that down. I have to put that down. I don't take things into my own hands. And can I tell you, that's one of the hardest things as human beings, because somebody messes with us or somebody messes with my family. I, I want to mess with them. I wanna, it's a natural human thing. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll weep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I really could get lost in this scripture, and I'm going to try and move on uh, to the next bit of the sermon, which is what I'm supposed to be preaching on. But I think there's something important here. I want you to go home. This is homework. This is teacher coming out. I want you to go home and I want you to really read and digest that passage. There's a lot in there. But if, if we allowed the Holy Spirit to craft us and to sculpt us as a church that looked like that, as a people that looked like that, we would see a mighty move of God in this place. We would have an incredible established culture of honor in this place. I do believe we have an established culture of honor in this place, but it would be like throwing gasoline or jet fuel on that fire. Why did I say gasoline? It's because I've been slagging off Americans. In the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So petrol or jet fuel on the fire, and it was gasoline, for goodness sake. Gasoline, yeah. One of the things, so I'm going to bring a few things out of this passage before we move on. The first thing I want to do is this idea of brotherly affection. Family is family is family is family. I feel like I'm in a Fast and Furious film. Right. A couple of things about family. I don't know what your family was like when you were growing up. I don't know what your family's like now. Okay, I know some of your families and what. They're like, but my sister and I could have fought like cat and dog. In fact, we could probably have killed each other. In fact, to this day, if my sister and I, if Sarah was coming to my house today, within about three seconds of her being in my house, she would be able to annoy me enough that I would be absolutely like ready to kill her. 
and vice versa. Because we grew up together, we know each other's kryptonite and we can push each other's buttons because we're family. But let me tell you something. If you were to mess with my sister, heaven help you. Okay? If you were to mess with me, Jill's coming for you. And she's actually, she's left. Maybe she's a way to get somebody there that she didn't think was looking right, you know, during the sermon. Um, be, be scared, all right? Family, we protect our own. Even when we argue with each other, even when we don't like each other, even when we disagree with everything that the other person stands for, we're family. That's what brotherly love and affection looks like. I am very thankful that John, Ash, and I have a brotherly relationship. I know that I can go to John with anything and I can say, John, I can, I can say the craziest things to John. I can say the stupidest things to John. I can be totally wrong with John and he'll still love me and vice versa. We can fight, we can argue, we can want to knock each other's heads in, but we love each other. Our connection doesn't require us to agree with each other. Now, most of the time we do agree nowadays. That's been a long road coming. Most of the time, John and I are in lockstep when it comes to things about church. But even if we, di- even if we disagreed, our connection couldn't be broken because we have a brotherly, infa- a brotherly affection that's been given by God and we're in family. See, here's the thing in a culture of honor. We're in family. We're connected to each other no matter what the argument is about. So as soon as you can get this idea of taking agreement off the table of your relationship with people in here, with people in your lives, the sooner you'll start walking in honor. Okay? Second thing about family is this. My family know the real me. My mom and dad knew the real me. Jill, heaven help her, she knows the real me. She used to live with me. Imagine living with this day in, day out. She knows me. But we know each other's good things. We know each other's bad things. We know each other's potential. This is the thing. Good, healthy family calls out your potential. What Danny Silk talks about is calling out the gold. That's a very American way to put it, and that's okay, because I actually think it describes perfectly what you're doing. You're trying to call the potential out of someone. We need to see who we are, and actually when somebody interacts with you in a way, and you go, no, that person's really being this, we need to understand they're walking in a different calling to me. They're speaking a different language to me. And actually, there's something good in there that I need to call out of them and them from me. We need each other. We're called to live together as brothers and sisters in brotherly affection and call the best out in one another. And that's flipping hard. Like, that is really, really hard. So all of this comes down to, and we're going to look at Ephesians 4 here. All of this comes down to what we're creating in this place is, is an atmosphere, is a culture of heaven that we call the funnel from heaven. Now, it's an apostolic flow, and I'll explain what I mean by that. If you're new to this, if you've not encountered this idea before of culture of honor, if you've not encountered this idea of fivefold ministry before, you may have in your head the apostles were the 12 apostles. Well, that in itself is wrong because those 12 go down to 11 when Judas leaves. Okay? <laughs> That's being polite when Judas kills himself because he's betrayed Jesus. And then it goes back up to 12 when Matthias gets, they literally gambled, they literally cast lots. I mean, is that a way to, is that, would we be comfortable if we were choosing elders in church by casting lots? I think you'd probably expect us to act with a little bit more wisdom than that. But uh, 
Matthias, or Matthias was actually chosen to be one of the 12 disciples by casting lots. Then we get, after that, Paul the Apostle comes along. Paul, who was not part of the 12, so we've got 13 here. And here's the thing, in Scripture, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where the apostles, like where that office ended. There's nothing in Scripture tells me that that office ended. Now, the, this, this is the argument that people who say, oh, there's no modern-day apostles, the argument that they make is that the teaching of the apostles was put into the New Testament, and that's what's to guide the church. We don't need apostles nowadays because we've got the teaching of the church. And there's a certain truth to that because there is the teaching of the apostles in this book, most of it coming from Paul in the New Testament, who was an additional apostle called after the Twelve. And there is something about the apostolic is to chart the right course. But what we see in scripture is that this office of the apostle still carries on today. Now, it looks a bit different today. All right. So let's take a look. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 10. Really, really seminal passage on this. And I'm sure you've heard us preaching this before. Verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, that's a translation thing there, and it's actually a lovely translation thing there. Shepherds, for shepherds, read pastors. Because shepherds tells us exactly what pastors are supposed to do. They're supposed to shepherd. Okay? Um, <clears throat> To equip, so why, why, is, why is Jesus given these gifts to the church? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, everybody say grow up, in every way into him who is the head into Christ. I love it when I pick up the Bible and it tells me to grow up. Okay? That is a prophetic word from the Lord for you today. Would you grow up? Okay. Very early in my teaching career, I got myself in trouble by using the phrase grow up because a child was acting very immaturely in a P7 class. And I said, would you ever grow up? And I had a parent in to see me that afternoon because it probably wasn't a particularly appropriate thing to say. However, I'll absolutely take it from the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit tells me to grow up and mature, what do I need to do? I need to grow up and mature. How do we do that? By having this five-fold apostolic ministry absolutely active in the church. Okay? This is about discipleship. If we want to grow up, if we want to stay the course, if we want to be mature, healthy believers, we need to have the apostolic five-fold ministry active in the church that there's a funnel from heaven. Here's the thing. What does apostolic ministry do? Apostolic ministry keeps us charting the course. It means that when we come to various issues, we have an active ministry of the apostle. We have an active ministry of the prophet, of the pastor, of the teacher. All of these things are active within the church. And it means that when difficulties and storms come, we can draw on the right gift. When we come to, we need a course correction, we can draw on the gift of the teacher. 
Who can say, no, no, no. Actually, what the Bible says is this. We're going off in the wrong direction. Let's go the right way. When, when we come to a juncture where we're not sure where to go, the prophet can speak in truth into that and say, the season we're entering is. Okay? When we come to a situation where, you know, we're, we're thinking about planting churches, the apostles already probably 10 yards down the line planting churches. I mean, there's no way to stop John Ash planting churches at this stage. It's just not possible. I mean, I don't even think a shotgun would do it. Okay, he's literally an unstoppable church planting machine. Rachel's got that look again. Okay, she can see that it's coming. Okay, John has a gift. He is, he is an apostle. He's called to plant churches. It's what he does. Whether you want him to do it or not, he's, that's what he's called to do. And it's amazing to see, excuse me, to see the life-giving churches that have come out of that ministry. So, I've been a very good boy recently on Facebook. I have been a very good boy recently on Facebook. I, I have watched all of the Facebook posts, all of the people who are wrong politically, all of the people who are wrong theologically, uh, all of the people who just are wrong. And I've just scrolled past. I've said very little. I've just put up little pictures of Jonah. And I've, I've been a really good boy until this week. And I had a person come up on my page, and they're not part of our community, and I, I dare say, I don't think there's anybody in church will have seen this, but this is a guy who I've followed for a long time, and he has fallen deep into the well of progressive Christianity, okay? All right? I don't love progressive Christianity. I don't think Christianity actually needs to progress or change. I think God has given us a Bible that tells us exactly what Christianity is supposed to look like, and that's what I'm going to preach, all right? However... 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, when there was a thing coming out that says called post-modernity and the emerging church, I had my head pickled and messed with at that stage, which is why I'm so passionately against it. But anyway, this post came up, and most things I can scroll past, but this was somebody who was literally preaching a heresy called Marcionism. Anybody heard of Marcionism? Okay. A heresy called Marcionism, which was settled in the first century. Okay? It's not even a new thing. This is a heresy. What basically says, okay, Marcin was a guy who couldn't understand that the Old Testament and the New Testament seemed to have this different view on God. The, the, the God that Jesus revealed, the Father that Jesus revealed, looked to be different than the God of the Old Testament, than Yahweh. So he made the decision, well, these are two different deities. That's Marcionism. In a nutshell, now it's more than that, it's deeper than that. But I had somebody come up on my Facebook page and they literally said this and their 29 points, it was like their you know, 39 thesis and there's 29 of them, explaining why this was the case and why Christians were totally wrong about everything and we, we need to progress and move and change with this new revelation. And I, I just couldn't let it go. I just couldn't let it go. Because in my heart, the apostolic rose up in me and I went, what if somebody reads that and thinks that's true? What if somebody reads that and they've no idea who Marcion is, they've no idea about that heresy, and they start to believe this, and they start to walk in that, and it's taken them in completely the wrong direction, because it's absolute balderdash. So I started to reply. And he started to reply. And I started to reply. And, he, and so we went on, and I felt this fire in the Holy Spirit saying, don't stop, keep going. And I kept going and I kept replying and everything he said I replied to and I had answers in me that I didn't know I had in me. And I'm, I, I like to study theology, I like to do these things. But there were, the, the, God gave me revelation, it was, it, was, it was good. And then I got people starting to message me saying, thank you. 
I found this post today and I was really confused by it. You've helped me see that what he's saying is not right. And I, I got actually about four or five messages, something similar to that, something similar in that vein. What's the point I'm trying to make? When we live in this apostolic five-fold reality, what it stops is that we get bounced about by every wind of doctrine. When something stupid comes along on Facebook and you think, oh, that sounds good. And you go, hang on. What are we actually taught? What does the Bible actually say? What is the, and see, when you've been in this environment, you can smell the fake nonsense a million miles away and it starts to grate on you. It's probably why I need to stay off social media. Um, so I'm going to very briefly chat about what these five offices are like and then, I'm going to, uh, then we're going to end here. Okay. And I do, mean, I do mean briefly. So uh, first thing, we'll look at apostles. Well, what do apostles do? Well, apostles have seen Jesus. That was the, the biblical qualification. You have to have seen Jesus. This is why, well, does Paul fit in with the having seen Jesus? Yes, because he had the encounter on the road to Damascus and he has this encounter with Jesus. So it lets us see that an apostolic call isn't just physically seeing Jesus, because then that only would be people from you know, 2,000 years ago who'd actually seen Jesus, but you can have an encounter with God. That's one of the reasons why we're so keen on encounter in church, because we encounter Jesus. We meet Jesus. It changes everything, all right? Apostles are supposed to be the ones who provide the overall leadership and the direction which flows from heaven. They focus on the supernatural realm and quite often you would see apostles moving in signs and wonders. You see them moving in healing and they're focused on Jesus and keeping us going in that direction towards Jesus. They're also focused on biblical truth and making sure that what we're doing lines up with all of that. Prophets, well again I'm going to use Danny Silk's joke here. Prophets knew that we were going to be preaching on this this morning because they had a dream about it three weeks ago. All right, Prophets discern what's going on in the spirit. This is why prophets and apostles work together so well, because they discern what's going on in the spirit. But a prophet speaks truth to the now and to the not yet. A prophet's job is to speak truth. And that helps us keep on the right path. That helps us move towards the season that God has us in. Another interesting thing about prophets is, and this, you find this in Matthew 10, verse 41. I don't think this scripture will appear on the screen. But it's... Um, the one who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. When the prophetic ministry starts happening in church, what happens? We all get stirred up, and all of a sudden, like, if you've been to one of our evening services and we start prophesying from the front, you have a line of people up here who want to come and give prophetic words, because it stirs up that grace within the church. You start to receive that reward, that gift of the prophet. Okay? Um, <clears throat> They perceive things and they declare things that others, people who flow in other gifts, might miss. Teachers then, um, teachers are focused on the Bible and helping people keep a biblical, sound, theological mindset. They can th correct the theological direction, but the problem with teachers is sometimes they can get lost in the details. Have you seen this word in the Greek and the Hebrew? And if you break that down, and this means that, and, oh, and the way it's used here. and it's used... Listen, this person's mom has just died. All right? They actually need a bit of pastoral support. They don't need your thesis on a breakdown or your exegete on that passage. They actually need a bit of compassion. Teachers can get lost in the minutiae. Not all the time, but, and I'm being a bit extreme in my example, but you get the point. Pastors, of course, they look after you. They look after me. Pastors look after the flock. Everybody loves pastors. Problem with pastors is pastors can in an unhealthy place, be too focused on people and not on God. That's why, this is where, this is the problem with the church today. John is our senior pastor, 
but John's not a pastor. Does that make sense? Like John is an apostle, he's not a pastor, so don't expect John to be hugging you and loving you. Sometimes he does hug you and it's like, John, stop hugging me, you're squishing me. But that's not his gift. If John starts doing that and focusing on the people all the time, and yes, he loves people, and yes, the reason why John started doing all of this is so that people would encounter Jesus, but it's an apostolic call in his life. It's not a pastoral call. We have a great pastoral team and a great pastoral ministry in this church, and you're going to be hearing more about that over the next while. But everyone loves pastors. Then evangelists. Evangelists are you know, kind of being brought into church on a Sunday morning, nearly kicking and screaming because they know that there's people out there who need to know Jesus. Evangelists, of course, they love the church, but a church led by an evangelist will have lots of new believers in it, but it probably stops there because they're not discipleship heavy. This is the thing. We need all of these five gifts active in the church. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting listening to this and you're going, which one am I? I wonder which box I fit in. I wonder where my Enneagram 7 personality fits in with that. I wonder where my, um, you know, I, I wonder where my Myers-Briggs profile fits in. If you're like me, you're thinking, where do I fit in? And here's the thing, you don't need to worry about it. Okay? You will be drawn more to some of these than others. You will be drawn to more than some of these. But the prob- it's probably true to say, like for myself, I do believe that there is, uh, the, my primary gift is probably to be a prophet. I see what's happening. I declare what's happening. But I absolutely have a teaching gift. So I can teach, but it's not my main thing. Does that make sense? So you probably have a mixture of these things. Um, sometimes I'm more comfortable teaching than I am being the weird person at the front of the room. <sighs> But the point of all of this is if we can have these ministries active in our church, if we can have these offices active in our church, it keeps us balanced. It keeps us going in the right direction. It keeps us unified and it also helps us to grow up. So uh, if the worship team want to come back up, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask us all to stand. Uh, there is going to be a ministry line up here at the end of the service, and you can do that, but if you want to stand with us, folks. If God's speaking to you this morning, if there's something that you really need prayer for in this, as I say, the ministry people will be there to pray for you. But I just want to pray for us as a church that we would really, truly walk in a culture of honor, that we would really, truly know who we are and know who others are and be able to receive that gift. And also that God would just journey with us and speak with us over this next season so our apostles and our prophets and our pastors and our evangelists and our teachers would really rise up and those gifts would rise up really prominently within the church. So God, I thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you that you love this church. God, I'm sorry for the times where we do get this wrong. I'm sorry for the times where we have been dishonoring, Lord. Would you speak to us, Lord? Would you show us how to be more honoring as a church? Off each other, off your church, Lord, and in our society, Lord, would you teach us what it means to live a culture of honor? And God, I pray for every person in this room and every person watching, Lord, throughout the week on the, uh, on the live stream. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. Holy Spirit, you would stir them up and you would stir the gifts of God up in our lives, Lord. You would stir the apostles and the prophets, Lord. You would stir them up, Lord. You would begin to have people operating in those gifts, Lord. That we would begin to have teachers, Lord. That we would begin to have pastors. That we would begin to have evangelists just rise up. Lord, we actually... 
I just pray right now, Lord, for the gift of evangelism. We've been a house that's been known for having creative evangelism in the past. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that evangelists, true fivefold evangelists, would rise up in this house, Lord. Lord, would you capture some hearts with the idea that there is a lost and dying world out there that needs to encounter you? Lord, would you raise up the evangelists in the house? Jesus, would you keep us in the right direction, Lord, in this apostolic flow, in this environment of heaven? Lord, would you keep us in the direction that you've called us, Lord, that we wouldn't stray to the right, we wouldn't stray to the left, Lord, we wouldn't be tossed about. God, we just say right now to every person who's being tossed about in progressive Christianity, Lord, and every wind of doctrine that's stirred up, God, I pray right now, Lord, the revelation of Jesus Christ, God, and that apostolic ministry would come to bring correction, of course, Lord, that we would do nothing but follow you Jesus God I pray Lord that minds that have been twisted minds that have been just confused by lies of the enemy by theological lies God would just be released right now in Jesus name God and instead we would have the mind of Christ revealed Lord that we would have the mind of Christ revealed to us Lord You would replace our thoughts, our ideas, our hopes, God, with the mind of Christ. Lord, would you do heart surgery on us, Lord, that we would begin to desire your things and not ours. That we would begin to want to be accurate to what you've said in the Bible, Lord, and not what we really want in our hearts, Lord, knowing that our hearts are deceitful, Lord. Would you bring truth to us, Lord? I speak truth right now, Lord, that you would bring truth to our very bones today. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, move in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.